Hello, welcome to this Tuesday morning episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. Today we have part two of our three-part preview crossover with Scott and Laura of Locked On Canadians. And on today's episode, we'll basically be talking about the biggest storylines heading into the series for each team. You know, expectations, what's at stake. We talk a lot about the goaltending situation for both teams, especially Carey Price and how he can stand on his head. But also with Matt Murray and Tristan Jari, it looks like Murray's going to start, but you never know. But we also touch on Mike Sullivan and what this cup would mean to Mike Sullivan as he would get his third cup in five years. But all that and more starting right now on Locked On Penguins. We're, we're talking about like every, all the narratives and the stories and everything that are going through this. And Hunter, I got to ask, for the Penguins, just how bad is the meltdown if they lose to Montreal in any amount of games in this series? Because everyone's kind of expecting the Penguins to come in and Sidney Crosby and like his robot hockey mind are going to kick Montreal out of the bubble almost immediately what hap- like what happens if that's not the case or even if they struggle a lot more than expected i think you'll see some pretty uh hot flaming takes on twitter.com for one scott uh, that will be a lot of fun to read but um i, I honestly think i do want to pick the brains of more fans i've seen some fans say you know what if they lose it's not that big of a deal we get the shot, shot at the number one overall pick i've also seen fans say yeah i'll be pretty pissed off because you really shouldn't lose to a team like this um, I'd be pretty disappointed because the Penguins are just vastly superior, more deep than the Canadians and just, I think all around a better team. But I mean, I, I do think you will see a lot of people, I mean, the Penguins fan base is very known for being very reactive with a lot of hot takes. It doesn't take a fool to, <laughs> to see that on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you want to check. Just, I mean, look up, look, just look at whenever Matt Murray just gives up a goal in a game and you just see people wanting some of the other guy back in there. So it, 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 Penguins Twitter will melt down. It will, that will happen regardless. But if they lose and if they struggle, it'll just be basically 10 times that. And you mentioned Matt Murray struggling. And I guess one of the big storylines is because when they were announcing the play-in rounds, it's like the Canadians are set with their goalie. They're they're going with Carey Price, ride or die for the next 10 million years of his contract. <laughs> Who the hell is starting for Pittsburgh? Because I saw somewhere that it said Matt Murray is our guy. He's going to be the one we start with. And then Tristan Jari's the better goalie. Like w- what is going on with all of this? Yeah, it's an interesting situation. Jim Rutherford came out to the athletic and said, yeah, I think Matt Murray is going to start. But you know what? It's up to Mike Sullivan. Uh, Tristan Jari has had a pretty good training camp. I think he's probably played a little bit better than Matt Murray, but I also thought Matt Murray played pretty good for the second week and the couple of the scrimmages that I was watching. Um, I think Matt Murray is going to go game one. I think it's going to be a shorter leash. Some people are, are, have been saying, well, how do you start Matt Murray game one when Tristan Jari has been the better goaltender? It's like, well, I think it's pretty obvious the reason why you start him. He's won you two Stanley Cups. He was 937 in one of them. He has the experience. And, I mean, it's there's another kind of a little bit of reason this is a contract year for him and also for Jari too. So it's we're not really sure what's going to happen with them. But he just Matt Murray just elevates his game in the postseason. He's done it constantly over the years. I know he had his struggles, but I really did think by the time the season was coming to a pause, he was starting to really turn it around. Tristan Jari's numbers were kind of tanking a little bit. 
But if Matt Murray does struggle in game one and let's say maybe say the Canadians blow them out for one, five, nothing, whatever, I do think Mike Sullivan will be like, you know what? I'm making a change just like he did with Marc-Andre Fleury and I will take out Matt Murray and put in Tristan Jari in. But I really do think it is Matt Murray's net to start. So my question here is kind of did, you know, there's been – so much talk about this, like the entire season, you know, for whatever, whatever, whenever I was checking in on the Penguins, either one of two things was happening. One, a major injury or two, <laughs> goaltending crap. And so I'm wondering, like, does anyone know what the deal was with Matt Murray? Like, I know he, you know, was it an injury kind of thing? Was it like in his head? Like, was something going on in his life? Like, does any, does anyone know what the deal was there? Because he really did stink. At at points. Mm -hmm. I think it was just struggles with his own game. He just wasn't seeing the puck as well as he's used to. Wasn't squaring up to shooters. When Matt Murray is on his game, you know, he's playing big in his net. He's squaring up to shooters. There's not a lot of room when, like I said, when he's on his game. But he was just not that this season. I was reading, you know, before the qualifying round was announced. Apparently he's been working with um, someone to fine-tune his game. We're going to get to see those changes firsthand when this qualifying round starts on Saturday to really see if anything changed. A lot of people have been clamor- clamoring, oh my God, his glove hand stinks and blah, 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 blah. But just his whole all-around game was just not that. It, it's not just one area. He just was not playing the way that we're accustomed to seeing him play. And it's, I'm just, I'm going to be really interested to see how he comes out in that game one, because I, I would be shocked if Jari goes game one and he just, he has a lot riding on him for this series. It must be nice that, oh, well, if Tristan Jari doesn't work out, we can go to the guy who won two Stanley Cups back to back. Or, hey, if Matt Murray falters, we can go to the guy who was an NHL all-star this year. For the Canadians, the whole thing is we don't really know who his back, who Carey Price's backup is going to be in that you look at it, it's Carey Price and then a bunch of unproven guys. You have Charlie Lindgren, who is backing him up at the end of the season. You have Caden Primo, who is their top goaltending prospect. Then you have Michael McNiven, who spent most of the year in the ECHL. And you'll notice I left out Keith Kincaid because they literally just told him to stay home and don't even bother, which is never a good sign. It feels like it's almost kind of reassuring that even if one of the Penguins goalies is bad, that there's someone else capable of backing up behind that. And in a series where anything can happen and you have to make, you know, strong decisions, that has to have some peace of mind for the fan base, I would imagine, though, right? Yeah, it it does. It especially 100% does. We're no strangers to goalie controversy in this town. There's still a lot of people that have there's don't like Matt Murray because he took Mark Andre Fleury's job. You see, he was so beloved. Um, I think if Tristan Jari does take over for Matt Murray and there is a shot of that happening, I can see those people, you know, flocking right over to Jari because they hate Murray for what happened. So yeah, it, it is a very nice luxury to have the penguins. They've done this before. Mike Sullivan has done this before. He's no strangers to making a very, very tough decision. I just, I would be curious to see if he did and when he did because I know Matt I, – I think I know Matt Murray is his guy. He's done it multiple times with him over the years in the playoffs. But it's just – I just want to know how long his leash is. Is it one game that where he stinks or you put him right back in or one game and then you're out? So that's what I – that's one of the biggest storylines I think going into this this series to be honest. And, like, obviously we're talking different storylines. We talk about the goaltending and everything. 
I guess the biggest question is, what has to go wrong for the Penguins to lose to the Canadians in this? Because it doesn't seem possible on paper a team that can run Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin as their one-two with a very good third center and Jared McCann behind that. And we'll talk, you know, about all those players. But what has to go astronomically wrong for the Penguins to just straight up, you know, trip over their shoelaces and not even win a game and just get embarrassed by Montreal in this? They would have to pull a, a, a Islanders series like they did last year where basically they would have to be horrendous in their own zone and in their neutral zone. The reason they got swept by the Islanders was basically that entire reason. Two-on-ones basically every ship, the Islanders score. Three-on-twos, they would just score. And it was just a cycle of bad pinches and then it, the turnovers and everything like that. That's the stuff that has to go wrong, I think, for the Penguins to lose the series. Or, oh yeah, Matt Murray or Tristan Jari just like being below replacement level and going full Marc-Andre Fleury mode like he did against the Flyers in 2012. But I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. But it's just I was talking about this on one of my episodes last week with Jesse Marshall. You know, the Penguins struggles, they come against teams like this. And Claude Julian, it, it is a bit scary because I know what happened in 2013 when he had the Bruins and they absolutely embarrassed the Penguins. I'm still salty that I was supposed to go to game five of that series, but it's just the Penguins just have to play well in the neutral zone. They cannot do these little dumb pinches that they've done. They have to play well defensively because that's when they don't do that. That's when they get into trouble. And then you force the goaltenders to just make, a ton of saves just bail you out. And sometimes they can't do that. Matt Murray didn't do that a lot of the season. Tristan Jari had to at times, but that's just the big thing. I think just bad defensive play and just bad pinches, which lead to goals. I think is my big thing. So looking at the Canadians, it's like, that's their whole game is they made a, a living this year is that they got a lot of shots and that they could, you know, sustain pressure, but they didn't lack, they didn't have the, high-end finishing ability of other teams. Would Montreal's pressure style, where you have someone like Brendan Gallagher or Yoel Armia, who just does not quit on the puck, make it more difficult for some of Pittsburgh's, you know, bottom six players or, you know, bottom four defenders kind of handling that pressure? Is there a way for Montreal, like, if they're going to hone in on something to focus on, obviously you're talking about the pinches and the little plays and not being decisive, is there something else Montreal can do to kind of put Pittsburgh off their game, even if it's like just getting under their skin more than usual? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think maybe try to target the Johnson-Schultz pairing as much as possible, though I do think Mike Sullivan is going to shelter them as much as he can. We all know Jack Johnson struggles. He's very bad. Justin Schultz is just trying <laughs> Yeah, he, he struggled. He's very bad. That's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, do not get me started on Jack Johnson. I, I could spend a whole episode talking about all of his bad plays these last couple of years, but I mean, I'll say I'll save you guys that. But also, Justin Schultz was just—he's just been bad the last couple of seasons. Ever since that ankle injury in 2017-18, just has not been the same player. His contract's up after this season. Probably not going to get a raise after that $5.5 million per he made for the last couple of seasons. But they should target that pairing because they make a lot of bad decisions with the puck. The Penguins don't allow too many teams to get like under their skin, I would say. If there's one team that does, it's the Bruins because they just 
for whatever reason, they just cannot stand them. And but I just Mike Sullivan just hasn't really allowed teams to just get under the Penguins' skin, so to speak. I know it was very evident under Dan Bosma, but you know, just targeting that bottom pairing. You know, also hoping that the Tanev Bluger Aston Reese line has a off series because when they, Mike Sullivan puts them on the ice and he will put them on the ice against whatever line he wants, the Gallagher line, Domi, whatever you want, they usually get the job done. But, you know, I think a big thing is if that line struggles really bad, they're not winning faceoffs. That, that could be a line that could be targeted. I'm shocked that there's anybody that can't stand the Bruins. I mean, really? Uh, yeah, it's it's just so rare for someone to not like such a lovable team like the Bruins, who are known for hitting you in the head or licking you or doing other kindly things that, you know, Honestly, other teams definitely do. Boston sports in general, like hating any Boston sports team is just, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of it because, like, Scott was listing them, and I'm like, they also spear you in the balls with a stick. So, yeah. <laughs> like, there's definitely not. We could make none. a seven-part podcast of all the dumb ass hattery that Brad Marchand alone has done, not including everyone else who's been a Bruin in the past, like, decade that I've really been watching hockey. We could do, like, the last dance, but just about Brad Marchand being an asshole. Well, I think we have our off-season content then, Scott. Write that down. (laughs) I was going to say 30 for 30, the time Brad Marchand was a dick. Uh, (laughs) The wheel wheel of excuses, whatever that that gift that they have, uh, that never gets old. I I did want to ask you guys this question, though. Is What do you think is the biggest way the Penguins – the Penguins, good lord – what is the biggest way that the Canadians can beat the Penguins in this series? Carey Price. Uh, yeah. Yes, or if Shea Weber, you know, regains the Shea Weber uh, or the talent level or the skill level or whatever you want to call it of 10 years ago, uh, because he's just he's he's declining. Like he's been declining for a long time. He's a great guy. He's a great defenseman, whatever, but he just, he doesn't have it in the tank. And so this year you could argue that Jeff Petrie really became the Canadians most, I mean, Scott uh, Scott has actually argued that in writing, Um, Several times. (laughs) you know, so like for, for the, I guess what, what should happen or what could happen is Carey Price will stand on his head. And for whatever reason, the uh, Penguins have their hands full with the Shea Weber defensive pairing and Jeff Petrie gets a little room to move and create, uh, create chances, uh, get the puck out of the zone, because that's something that the Canadians really, really struggle with. Um, Once, once they're up sort of like, you know, the neutral and, and in, in the offensive zone, they're okay. Like they can generate shots. Like I've seen them time in, you know, night in and night out. We would see them even through the losing streaks. We'd see them absolutely like hem their opponents in their own end for long stretches. It's just that the, the pucks would not end up in the net. So there's a couple of other things that they would have to do. They'd have to get a little bit more creative and unpredictable on their power play, which um, you know, everybody's kind of like defending against Shea Weber and that's everybody knows what's going to happen is that anybody who's out there is going to pass to Shea Weber. He's going to do one timer and it might go in. But usually if it does go in, it's because it like injured somebody on the way. 
So everybody <laughs> kind of knows what's going to happen. And so they need to have a little bit more creativity um, because, you know, when you're, when you are the Canadians and you're matching up against teams like the Penguins, like you really have to capitalize on the mistakes the opponent makes because the opponent is like, it's far outmatched both in coaching and in, in my opinion, in coaching, I don't know, like that, that one, it, it could be a story for another day. It's kind of like, you know, are you driving a Ferrari or are you a good driver or whatever, like that whole argument that they make all the time. But in terms of, of talent level, you know, like the Penguins are just, they're, they're so much better and they, they've just, they've, they've been playing this kind of hockey for so many years, like in the recent years. So the Canadians really, they have to capitalize on mistakes they have to be able to put put out, um, you know, like they've like their third line is decent. I wouldn't say that it's like you know none of, none of their lines have superstars on them. That's not something that I would describe. But you know they've got they've got enough people on there that if they're able to spread it out throughout the lineup, that like they might be able like their third or fourth like their bottom six might be able to step up. Really, um, it depends. And and so. I think they have their work cut out for them, but it really depends on how many mistakes the Penguins make, how Carey Price plays, and um, how predictable the Canadians are. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for it is, what can this team do when their lines are away from Crosby and Malkin? And that's kind of where it is. We know Philip Deno and Brendan Gallagher and Thomas Tatar can go head-to-head with pretty much any line in the NHL and compete, because that's what they did all year. And then after that, it kind of gets jumbled up. It was Jesperi Kotkaniemi back to, like, the best he can possibly be. Where does Max Domi slot into the lineup? What does playoff Arturi Lekkanen or Yoel Armia look like? Where do all these pieces kind of fit in the puzzle here? Because there's so many combinations. Everything outside the first line is a mystery at this point. It could change tomorrow, the next day, after game one, after game two. It it because uh, Claude Julian loves to bring out the blender, but he's got options. It's just can they get special teams working and can they find the line combinations that click? And I've talked about how I think Yol Armia is a good person to have with someone who needs space to create. Someone like Jonathan Drouin or Arturi Lekkinen or Jesperi Kotkaniemi. It's all about can he get them away from Crosby and Malkin long enough to let them have their best possible impact on the ice. And I think it's possible. It's just a matter of how long and can they do that for long enough to give this team the lead that they need? Because anytime they try to sit back on a lead, it goes terribly. So they just need to tighten up and take advantage of when the superstars are not on the ice against them, using that to their advantage. Yeah, that's I, I like that. I, I, that's probably honestly going to be the Habs' best strategy for that. In all, in all honesty, because the, for the Penguins' bottom six, the Tana Bluger Aston Reese line is not going to be out there to produce offense. Mike Sullivan puts that line out there to shut the other line down. And I was talking about this earlier. He will put that line out there against the Tomas Tatar line. He will put that line out there against whatever line Max Domi on because he trusts them. His trust only just gains momentum just as they continue to play well because they did this all season. Their underlying numbers are just ridiculous defensively. The way they limit the shots on the ice, and they're just not in the defensive zone that often. So I'm just going to be really curious to see like if Montreal can get a lot of chances against that line. And then 
for the third line, that's going to be Patrick Marlowe, Jared McCann, and Patrick Hornquist. I think that's going to be the line that Montreal is probably going to really target because there's not a lot of really defensive specialists on that line for the Penguins. The three players that can produce offense pretty good, but they're just not very too good defensively. So I'm going to be curious to see what Claude Julian does when that line is out there, what line he puts out there for that. He's just going to like throw out all kinds of combinations and just, you know, change them every 10 seconds. And we call it the line blender, you know, like hockey fans call that kind of thing, the line blender. But Claude Julian is just, he has no patience at all, especially in such a short series. I think he's going to just be throwing everything out there and then seeing what sticks. And the unfortunate thing with Claude Julian is that he doesn't have patience to sort of to see how it works for a few shifts. He's like, that didn't work. All right, you're staple to the bench. And then now I'm going to double shift or triple shift this other guy. Like he's, <laughs> he's very much like he, he, he does not have the patience. He does want, he does not want to see, especially in an in-game situation. He does not want to see what happens. He's just like, it didn't work. I'm going to change it right away. Yeah. I, I, Mike Sullivan is usually a bit more patient. He has done that at times though. He will staple some players to the bench. But he usually, when he, like, breaks up a line and puts someone else on that, like, during a lot of the season, you know, Dominic Snow would be put down and then Patrick Hornquist would come back up. He would play with that a little bit. But then he would honestly have games where he would just keep it going because he just he, – he always likes to say, trust the process, as a bunch of other teams have in different sports. He's just a very trust-the-process kind of coach during games. I feel like we talked about the head-to-head matchup in this episode. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> we so much of around. the so much of the narratives in this come from, hey, how does this work out? I mean, I know we didn't delve into like the actual lines as a whole, but it's like the Canadians' entire advantage comes or potential advantage comes from having to get away from Pittsburgh star power. That's the narrative: is can Montreal's you know scrappy depth, I guess, combat Pittsburgh's overwhelming you know top end star power? It's it's you know. It's the oldest story in the book, especially in the playoffs, and it's going to play out again in this qualifying play-in round thing, and it's going to be really exciting. And hopefully, as Laura and I, huge fans of Philip Deneau, hope that it gives him another chance to shine as one of the best centers in the NHL because we're still not quite over him not getting any Selkie love for the second straight year. <laughs> yeah, he is he- a phenomenal two-way player, and I will say that anytime you ask. Yeah, his matchup with Crosby is going to be fun. I'm actually excited to see how he goes out against him and Jake. And then whoever wants to go out against uh, Jason Zucker with with Evgeny Malkin, you know, basically it's almost kind of like that top six is honestly like kind of like a murderer's row. Um, you, you pick your poison. I know Philip Deneau is going to go up against Crosby, but then you just have to deal with another top line on probably two-thirds of the NHL, to be honest. So – yeah, I'm I, I'm really excited to see that Deneau versus Crosby matchup, though. I think it'll it's, be one of the most enjoyable storylines of the qualifying rounds, to be quite honest. That's another question that I have is that like there are a lot of a lot of things going on in the qualifying rounds, and I don't know that I I am, and I know I'm obviously saying this as a Canadian fan, but I don't know that I'm invested in the like in the fun of it as much as I am on this series, like, you know, like Toronto Columbus, I'm kind of like, eh, like who, who, who really cares? And then it's like <laughs> Carolina. I like Carolina, but then they're playing the Rangers and like, I like you couldn't pay me to watch the Rangers. 
<laughs> you know, like there's a lot of that involved. Like it just it feels like like I'd rather just watch this and then only the round robin. But but this is like a March Madness kind of thing. And this just gives me the flashbacks of like being in high school. Get you just you get your lunch from the cafeteria, the game start at twelve o'clock, and then you just put your phones around the table and you have your brackets out. It's like, oh, what's going on here? What's going on here? And that's like what is going to be like I think really fun about it because you can just flip flop between games and yeah I mean Toronto Columbus I don't really care I I am gonna the Carolina New York series is going to be fun just for the Brady Shea storyline because there's so many things on that pick that they sent them which is just full team chaos but like it's just whenever like someone someone does something like a March Madness kind of thing you, you have my interest I'm I, just going to, yeah, <laughs> this is a you do you situation just because I also like personally, I was just prepared to like start, start looking at the draft picks right now and see who's available and ask Scott millions of questions because he's the prospect expert and all of that. And now I'm like, well, now I got to actually like, I was, I was thinking about, it, I was like, oh, I'm making all these plans. And then I'm like, no, wait, that's August 1st. I have to be home at eight to watch the stupid ass play the stupid penguins. <laughs> Um, so, but I, I, I am going to say like, I am interested in this particular matchup because it's been 10 years since they last met in the playoffs. And it's been, you know, like they, the, the two teams have had such different trajectories over that time that I think it's going to be really cool to see. And it's, it's once again, like my team is extremely underestimated or not underestimated. I don't, I don't even think you're underestimating the Habs. It's just that you, they're not expected to do anything. And it's like, it's a prime sort of upset situation. And and the really funny thing is that I saw somebody, I don't know if it was Elliot Friedman, he doesn't do this, but somebody had put up polls and it was somebody like from Sportsnet had put up polls and be like, you know, what is your expectation? Who's going to win? And they had like all the series. And then like the, I, I clicked on the Canadians Penguins one and I, I, I'm going to fully admit that I clicked that the Penguins were going to win. And then I looked and the percentages were like 93% of people expected the Penguins to win. <laughs> And seven percent, you know, like there is a like this is another one of those things where it's like if this upset happens, it's it's going to happen because of goaltending. It's going to be a repeat of that whole thing. And it's just like to me, I find that really compelling. But at the same time, like, we're you know, we've been talking about, like, what's at stake for the Canadians? Like what's at stake is like like future greatness. You know, they've got a lot of really good uh, prospects in the pipeline. But they don't have a superstar. They've got a potential like elite scorer in the pipeline, but like that's that's a few years away. And they've got like they've got good players. It's not it's not it's not you know like they've got like you know prospects that we're really excited to see. But we don't have a superstar to watch. And so like for me like that's what's at stake is like getting that one superstar. And I don't think everything's magically going to fall into place. But he's going to be a key piece. You know the Canadians are kind of. Like, they'll be set. Like, they'll have a window. Like, we'll be able to tangibly say they have a window. Whereas for the Penguins, it's like, well, we could be one of the greatest dynasties. Or I don't know if you count as a dynasty, count it as a dynasty if it's been a couple of years. But, I mean, you know, I feel like I feel like it counts if they win the Cup this year, no? Kind of, yeah. That, that makes it what I'm, oh, I'm doing an elementary school math here. Uh, three in – okay, that'll be three Cups in five years. Uh, great there math. you go. Great math there for me. But – it would be, I think it would kind of trump the Blackhawks dynasty when they had three and six. Um, but 
I mean, yeah, what's at stake for the Penguins? You know, you're getting that fourth cup for Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. If Evgeny Malkin gets his fourth Stanley Cup, I believe that makes him the only Russian player, NHL NHL player, to have four Stanley Cups. And I think he's tied right now with a couple of people. I I need to Google that to make sure. But I believe he would be the only Russian with four Stanley Cups. Uh, I mean, and yeah, and I talked about earlier, they they would tie – Gretzky and Messier for four as a duo. And, you know, you're, that's almost into like, what's the word I'm looking for here? Kind of like the immortality stage. You know, all the articles started getting about, written about Sidney Crosby. Oh, yeah, top five player of all time. Top five player of all time. Everyone keeps dumping on the NHL for not including Evgeny Malkin in the top 100 players of all time. Hello, welcome to this Tuesday morning episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore penguins. Today we have part two of our three part preview crossover with Scott and Laura of Locked On Canadians. And on today's episode, we're basically be talking about the biggest storylines heading into the series for each team, you know, expectations, what's at stake. We talk a lot about the goaltending situation for both teams, especially Carey Price and how he could stand on his head. But also with Matt Murray and Tristan Jari, it looks like Murray's going to start, but you never know. But we also touch on Mike Sullivan and what this cup would mean to Mike Sullivan as he would get his third cup in five years. But all that and more starting right now on Locked On Penguins. All time. I mean, that happens every year, but still that for more, more. <laughs> but yeah, it just, it gets them another Stanley Cup. It, it just continues the dynasty. And, you know, it probably cements Mike Sullivan as the greatest coach in Penguins history. I know a lot of people say Badger Bob Johnson. I love Badger Bob. I know I was not alive to see those Stanley Cups. Still a little youngin over here, but I mean that would I think it would cement Mike Sullivan as the best Penguins coach to ever live and probably forever to be honest. Which is amazing considering how he ended up there mid-season replacement for you know the previous guy that didn't work out and then three and five would be absolutely bonkers for a guy who was a mid-year replacement as a head coach. Yeah, he's he's been unbelievable for this franchise. You know, some people at times have been kind of weird towards Mike Sullivan. They sleep on him. Guy's a top five coach in the league. I, I don't really think a lot of people can name five coaches that are perhaps better than him. But he's this would really cement him as, like I said, the best coach in Penguins history and probably honestly one of the best to ever do it if he can do this. And that concludes part two of our big series crossover preview with Locked On Canadians. Tomorrow will be the third and final installment of this big preview with Scott and Laura. And that will be the big head-to-head breakdown. And we'll also be making our predictions for this series. So stay tuned for that. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And we will have part three for you guys tomorrow. Talk to you then.